Hi, Stephen. Hey, Sophie. Hey, Stephen, we're in Sweden. Yes. This is a, a cold country sometimes, sometimes a quite nice warm country. But also, we have the Arctic Circle here, which means that sometimes the sun is always up, or sometimes the sun never shows up. Have you ever crossed the Arctic Circle? Uh, no, I haven't actually ever crossed the Arctic Circle. I know that the Arctic Circle does intersect Sweden, right? But it's quite north from here, yeah? Yes, it's very much north it's from here. It's almost 2,000 kilometers away from where we are here in southern Sweden. Yeah, so Lund is in the very, very southern part of yeah. Sweden. And the Arctic Circle is in the far north. Well, it sounds like it would be an interesting journey to take. And Definitely. that's actually what we want to do in today's episode. We promised that we would take the podcast to new places this semester. And we're really excited to do that today with you in sharing today's episode. We've had two students approach us with an idea for a podcast. Those students are master's students here in our master's program here at the IIIEE. Alexandra Jonka and Kelly Delaney had a really cool idea as part of uh, a trip they were taking to a small town in northern Sweden above the Arctic Circle to share some of the experiences uh, of this small city called Kiruna. Yes, and Kiruna is quite an interesting place because... If you had the opportunity to move the entire city you're living in, we're talking about reimagining all of the infrastructure, what would you do differently? This may sound like an incredible idea, but it's actually what Kiruna is about to do. So, Kelly and Alexandra, they set out to investigate the background to this and the challenges and opportunities that may come with it. Welcome to Advancing Sustainable Solutions, a podcast produced by the IIIEE at Lund University. We are proud to present this special episode, hosted by students of the IIIEE. Kruna is a relatively small industrial town in Sweden, with about 19,000 people. It's located 145 kilometers above the Arctic Circle, the northernmost part of the Earth. It's a harsh place to live. During winter, temperatures often drop to negative 18 degrees Celsius and can dip as far as negative 40. The sun is only visible for a few hours, and some days there's no sun at all. Despite these extreme conditions, Kruna is accessible multiple times a day by both air and rail. Kelly and I opted for the train ride up. It's a 19-hour overnight journey. You'd imagine that Karuna's remote location and intense environment would make it difficult to get to. But Sweden has really invested in the infrastructure to reach this place. It has two things as humans really want. The aurora borealis, those shimmering, famous green lights in the sky, and iron ore. Like many cities, Karuna has built its entire economy around its natural resources. Even more than Aurora tourism, this city relies heavily on the mine as its source of wealth and truly its reason for existence. The mine employs over 2,000 of the city's residents. And the rest of the world relies on Karuna too. It supplies an incredible 26 million tons of iron ore annually, around 90% of Europe's iron. Iron is used to make steel, which is needed around the world to produce everything from paper clips to skyscrapers. And demand is growing, especially in Asian and Middle Eastern countries. 
There wouldn't be a Karuna without the mine, which the town relies on for its economic and social stability. But in 2004, the state-owned mining company, LKAB, approached the city with some bad news. The mine had extended so far horizontally and vertically that the structural foundations of parts of the city were cracking, and in a most extreme scenario, parts of the city could be at risk of collapsing into the mine. Closing the mine was not an option. Karuna is completely locked into this industry. If the mine doesn't continue to produce iron ore, Karuna's inhabitants would face mass layoffs and the company would cease to exist. And so, most likely, would the city. The solution was pretty obvious, not just from a business survival perspective, but from a clause in LKAB's contract as well. Karuna would have to move, and LKAB was going to pay for it. 6,000 people near the mine would be displaced, dozens of buildings would be picked up and transported, hundreds would be knocked down, and 20,000 square meters of retail space and 1,500 workplaces were going to be built. This is a monumental challenge to begin with, especially in a country like Sweden, which really values the welfare and equity of its citizens who are now being told to give up their homes. And like so many other cities around the world, Karuna is faced with competing needs and challenges. Providing sufficient quality jobs for its citizens, accommodating the interests of its stakeholders, including the native Sami people, and doing all of this while protecting the surrounding environment. Beyond just Karuna's backyard, growing attention is being paid to resource extraction as part of contributing to global climate change. And it's this mining of iron ore that's really at the heart of the story we want to tell you today and why we're bringing you on this trip with us. We'll be exploring how a town that's reliant on natural resource extraction can aim to be a leader in sustainability, all while the mine quite literally starts to tear into the streets and homes of Kiruna. The question we want to explore is how a town like Kiruna can turn this challenge into an opportunity to become more sustainable, more innovative, and more economically diverse and resilient. Turning crises into opportunities is no easy task, but if a little town in the Arctic Circle can do it, then maybe we all have something to learn from them. about 9 a.m. in mid-February. <laughs> the sun is like early, but it looks like sunset, the color of the light. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The station isn't anything super fancy. It's just a small platform in the farther north side of town. But you know you're in mine country. There's a statue of miners carrying an iron bar at the platform entrance, and most strikingly, on the second set of tracks, a series of over 50 wagons waits to cart the iron ore pellets further up north to Norway, where they are processed and sent on to the rest of the world. These ore transport trains were a constant fixture on our trip, and the tracks were often parallel to the main road. We probably saw them more frequently than the passenger trains. Kiruna has a really charming, small-town feel. Lots of colorful buildings. Of course, what's probably different from most small towns is the giant mine constantly visible as this hill looming in the distance. I wouldn't say that there's a defined town center, but a big parking lot has a series of booths selling goods for the tourists. The mood is pretty chipper. There's obviously no panic about some future collapse. And there's no line drawn through the streets indicating which parts of the town are going to be torn down or not. 
but people know who's going for the most part. Is your house one of the ones that has to be moved? A few years ago, when they published that uh, map, my kitchen was outside uh, the zone and my living room was inside the zone, so uh, the line went straight through it. Then the, the steel prices went down a bit and then the line moved backwards. So actually, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's Mats Nilsson. He's the head of the Karuna Sustainability Center, a department in Tekniska Verket, kind of the equivalent of a public works municipal department. They are responsible for Kruna's energy production, district heating, water sewerage, and most other technical infrastructure in the city, right on down to snow removal from the streets. They're also leading the way in facilitating the technical aspects of this move. Mats has been working on the sustainability element since almost the beginning of this project. As you'd imagine, his job largely includes balancing various interests in the project. Depending on who you ask, there are different should I say, focuses on what's important. If you go to the politicians uh, in Kiruna, uh, I think they have very, very much a, a focus on um, building affordable apartments uh, for the inhabitants of Kiruna. And our board uh, has made a decision that 2025 we should be CO2 neutral in every way. Uh, and we have a very large focus on ecological uh, sustainability. At the same time, in Kiruna we are a little bit stressed because we're not controlling the time schedule. Mm -hmm. It's the development from the mine, uh, the cracks moving into the city that uh, are setting the time table. Uh, and that that's a, that creates a situation where we, we are trying to make decisions and build for the future. But in some ways, uh, we have to make quick decisions and, and build as fast and as cheap as possible. The Sustainability Center works in partnership with Swedish firms such as RISE and Vinova, two state-owned research and innovation institutions. They have nearly a dozen projects happening in Kiruna, ranging from agriculture to lighting to artificial intelligence. Two projects that we particularly found interesting were the work that they're doing with energy and waste. We spoke with Mats's colleague, Niklas Serian, about how the project is looking at improving energy efficiency. One of the biggest changes they're making is investing in getting the majority of their district heating energy from the mine's waste heat. This is the heat generated from mining processes, which otherwise would go unused, but in this case it's captured and used to heat up water, which is then shipped to the city to provide heating for homes. Kruna is also experimenting with energy efficiency in buildings, seasonal energy storage, and the ways that heat is delivered and distributed to residents, such as lower temperature district heating and sharing. Now we have a uh... 95 to 100 degrees, somewhere around there, that's pumped out in the system. But we're looking at the possibility for the new generation of district heating, where you can heat buildings with much lower temperatures. That could mean that it's more energy efficient, it's more versatile, and also that laying out the infrastructure is much cheaper. And that means that, of course, your base for customers gets bigger you have a better possibility to expand the system. I also learned about this exciting new sharing technology that they're working with called an ectogrid. It's inspired by what's called ectothermic animals, like lizards, who can adjust their temperatures to their surrounding environments. The system basically connects buildings with different heating and cooling needs, and then in real time, it regulates and shares existing energy between them. Buildings that needs a little bit more cold can get the cold and they share their heat with other buildings. So, so you get a, let's say, an energy sharing 
in, in different areas. And that also reduces the need for, for energy. I think one of the biggest things that stands out here is this awareness of risks and connecting this awareness with explicit energy resiliency goals. It could look like a paradox to try to be energy efficient when there's so much surplus uh, heat from the mining process. But of course, uh, we're looking at the bigger picture here and and, uh, not building a district heating system that is 100% dependent on uh, mining processes from LKAP. Because what would we do if the mine closed? We, We need to build a system that's redundant. And and that's why we need to build in energy efficiency from day one. Already this precautionary approach is paying off, especially when it comes to waste. Kruna is disengaging from the waste to energy plant because of a gut feeling that... That uh, burning waste will be a bad idea in the the future. It was a great idea when it was built, 2000, when everything else uh, was uh, dumped on landfills and we started energy recovery instead. Then it was a great idea. But I think that already five or seven years ago, it was quite clear that authorities would try to, to push burning uh, waste away uh, and moving uh, towards material recovery. And that actually happened. The new coalition in Sweden's parliament recently expressed an interest in taxing waste to energy generation. So um, our, feeling, our gut feeling that we acted upon uh, was correct. It was correct. And of course, that will have systemic domino effects. Karuna expects its population to grow in the future, and that means more people generating more waste, which will no longer be burned. But it's got to go somewhere, which is also something that they're working on. The, the, the first piece in this puzzle uh, was the decision to close the plant, because that drives uh, change in the other systems, because all the systems are connected to, to each other. So uh, uh, the decision to close the plant uh, is now driving development of, of a new waste system within Kiruna, and we're uh, in that case trying to work together with uh, some of the major companies in Sweden and trying to to create a testbed for a a waste system because what also drives the need of of some kind of optimized waste system is the long distances of of transportation Mm -hmm. that that we have from Kiruna into a a recovery facility. We don't have a somebody taking care of a paper or a glass or a metal or something like that. Everybody has to be transported away from Kiruna. And that way we have, we have to develop a collaboration between companies. We have to develop a logistic system to make this possible. And we also have to make it possible and easy for the inhabitants of Kiruna to sort out the different materials. a city is more than a collection of buildings and streets. Cities are places with history and memories. One way that Karuna is working to preserve this heritage is to move historical older buildings, such as the famous church or the old clock tower, into the new town. We saw this church on our visit. It's hard to miss the church when you see it. It's a big, beautiful red wooden building. It's actually one of the buildings that they're going to move over to the new town. They're disassembling it here and then reassembling it in the new Karuna, just a few short kilometers away. So to add just an element of like context of what that kind of project looks like, this building can hold 800 people. 
at its max. I mean, it's pretty large. Some things can't come along on the move, of course, and we wondered whether people were upset that they might be forced to move. So how do you feel about the new move to the new Karuna? Actually, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Look, it's a necessary situation. I I don't... uh... Well, clearly not everyone is very upset. But when we think about sustainability, it is important to think about social resiliency as well, and not just the environmental and economic angles. How are communities incorporated into big decisions that affect them? I think it's a it's a big, big opportunity. Uh, I see a lot of things being able to happen with this trans- transformation. That's Emma Janssen, an employee with the Karuna Social Innovation Lab. To learn more about how social resiliency is being promoted in the new town center, we asked her a few questions. What is your role with the transformation? Um, so we hired for two years to to look at different possibilities to and investigate how we can create new social meeting points within the new city plan. Mm. So what is it that we're lacking today? What can we include in the new city plan that we don't have today? Try it out and see what works, you know, what attracts people, uh, what makes people come together and what kind of like social service can, should the municipality also offer, provide a platform for citizens in Kirna to actually do, be part of this transformation, to not just give a comment about how a house looks like, but actually be part of building that garden that can be mm-hmm. next to that building or be a part of making that playground or some sort of meeting point that can be around like in this in the new city center do people look upon the mine quite favorably in the town just different camps you know mm-hmm. like uh, if you're a pro pro con definitely i mean a big population are working directly or indirectly yeah. to some sort of um, you know mining related industry so and you know so it's a big in- big income thing for a lot of people but of course, you also have a big, you know, camp that's not so in favor for the mine and whose work. So you know, if you're a ranger herder or in some sort of related to nature work, you are negatively affected by by a mine that's expanding. So this definitely different camps. So we're sustainability students, and one of the bigger things that we're excited about is just this sort of more energy efficient and more innovative. Mm-hmm. Thing, and especially the fact that there's going to be all this experimentation and mm-hmm. innovation stuff. Are you already seeing that happening? Um, and how do you perceive like that being, yeah, sort of integrated into mm-hmm. daily life around here? I can't say I see I've seen anything yet. I mean, I know Matsinoson, I know the work of Kieran Sustainability Center, and we sort of you know partner up with them a lot. So I know about it, but it's not it's not a lot of work that's been implemented in people's daily life yet i mean my background in in product design and social design is like how do you how do you make those technologies understandable like how do you understand if you're owning a house how much consumption of energy or water that it has or you have any leakage somewhere so make it visual and and approachable so i think they have a some way to go there you know before you you can actually implement in people's daily life and for people to understand it from my perspective, like working with this social innovation lab, you know, of course, I stand in the bubble of like the social sustainability uh, aspect, and I think that's something that um, is important. Like how how is like both the economical and ecological and social like aspects sort of taken in consideration? Because we 
perceive that it's a lot about economy, a lot about ecology, but how do we really connect it with the with the social aspects? Karuna's history that is perhaps less discussed is the town's relationship with the native Sami people. The land was once used by Sami nomads for reindeer herding before becoming a mining town. A lot of the surrounding area is still officially Sami territory. While it appears that there can be a tension between the mining company and local Sami people, this tension appears to have less to do with the town's move and more with Sami beliefs about a lack of representation and not being listened to when it comes to mining development. We can't really speak to this beyond what we researched, but we think it serves as an important reminder to ask ourselves who is affected by development decisions. While we worked on this episode, we also couldn't help but think about Sweden's goal to be carbon neutral by 2045. How does this goal reconcile with supporting the incredibly carbon-intensive process of mining ore, let alone the emissions that result from the use of ore in the steel-making process? Steel is integral to infrastructure that makes up our lives, and we don't have viable alternatives yet. If Sweden shut down the mine, the demand would still be there, but people's livelihoods would be lost. A whole town would be destroyed. And that really reflects the conflict at the heart of the environmental debate, a problem that so many other countries and towns with resource economies face. Many of the people we spoke to described the mine as a constant part of their life, and the move as something that's been inevitable for a long time. The city of Karuna and the Swedish government are banking on the ore being profitable for at least the next 100 to 200 years. Yet increasing automation is going to start reducing the jobs available. And that's likely why they're investing so much in diversifying their economy and becoming a model in sustainability for the world. That's why Kruna needs to become resilient in more ways than one. And at least some business owners see this as an opportunity, like Fanny, one of the hairdressers at Stina's Salon. Do you think uh, your business is going to be affected by it at all? Uh, yes, we have to move in a couple of years. Okay. But I don't know where it will be but mm. I think it will be be great, the new thing also. Do you think like, because like the town is going to grow and it's going to change and stuff, does that, ex is it exciting for you? Or? Yeah, I think it's exciting. Yeah. It, uh, it will be great if it's a little bit bigger. Yeah. Maybe we have more stores and uh, stuff like that. I thought a lot about her response in our conversation with Emma. This ties into yet another challenge that small towns are facing, stopping the trend of young people moving away to big cities. Towns like Kiruna are facing a majority aging population and an economy that needs to continue to be carried. That's a good point, Kelly, and that's another reason that Kiruna is pushing the sustainability work, according to Nicholas. In, in very simple ways, uh, uh, a sustainable city will be more uh, cost-effective. To not overuse energies, for example, is of course uh, cost-effective, uh, especially in the long run but also when it comes to attract people. Uh, the new, uh, mainly the new generation is, is more and more looking for a way to live sustainably. And they, they're looking for places to live where mainly ecological sustainability is possible and a society that clearly has taken a stand against climate change, against fossil fuels and so forth. And therefore, there is, there is 
if you look at as a city the possibility to grow if you we look at citizens as as customers more or less the customers want sustainability if you can't deliver sustainability they will go elsewhere and i think that uh, that is more more and more becoming a reality when it comes to deciding where to settle down and live your life ensuring that all citizens feel listened to, the paradox between relying on the extraction of rare metals and becoming a sustainability model, wanting to become bigger and attract more businesses while still reducing emissions and waste. Karuna has been facing and will continue to face challenges in balancing growth with social, economic, and environmental resiliency. How is the Sustainability Center, for instance, going to know when it's achieved its goals? We asked Matt this question. I'm not sure that that is possible, actually. When I started this work, I was trying to develop a concept or a recipe or a model or something that, that, that should be implemented here. And, 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 and it was, my, my goal is, was to develop something that was ready, a, a complete model, so to say. And it was kind of frustrating uh, after a few years when I had to admit to myself that uh, I will probably never be ready. Uh, this is a continuous work that, and, and things are changing, changing all the time. So when we started to burn trash 20 years ago, it was a great idea. It was actually a sustainability project. We reduced the amount of oil boilers in the city and it was great. Today it's the wrong decision. It, it is wrong, so now we are changing. So you will never ever be ready. So what have been your biggest lessons learned throughout this whole process? Well, when we started these projects, uh, I was, I think, quite naive uh, and thought uh, that we have, a, we have a unique possibility. This should be easy. But it's, it's not easy to take an organization and uh, change their focus. Everybody from the other innovation platforms were, were talking about innovation culture. And I didn't understand what that was. Uh, I thought that's something that they made up, so to say. Now I know that the most important part in uh, trying to, to develop a city or get an, or actually get an organization to work with development is innovation culture. You have to have an organization that wants to work with innovation and development. If they don't have it, if they don't have the time for it, it won't happen. I get more and more convinced that maybe those 5, 10, 15 or 30 minutes that we take a cup of coffee and put our feet on the table and just think about the future or the most important ones that, that we have. And as for Niklas? When it comes to especially the physical aspects of building a sustainable city and a sustainable society, I would say that the message is if a small town in an Arctic climate can do it, then so can you. Anyone can. I think that's, that would be... Uh, the message then of course depending on different areas and, and where we excel uh, there, there can be a, a lot of different lessons for, for many municipalities which some can use and some can't but I would, I would say it's the big picture that is the most important
So that wraps up the story of the sustainability journey of a small northern Swedish town that's taking a big challenge and leveraging it into an exciting opportunity. I have to say thank you to both Kelly and Alexandra for sharing this story with us. We're really happy to share that with our listeners. Um, what is something that stood out to you about uh, your experiences in Kiruna? Yeah, I think it was really great to be able to talk to the people there and just get their perspective on this. To them, it's such a normal thing. We think of it as a monumental task for a city, right? To just pick up and move uh, like Karuna is doing. But to the citizens there, it's something they've been faced with for so many years and it's just really become a normal part of their life now and figuring out how to accommodate that. And it was great to see uh, how many of them are being brought into the planning process and their perspectives and opinions are being listened to, um, which really shows Karuna is trying to take the social resiliency angle quite seriously with the move. And that's inspiring. And I definitely think there's a lesson there for other cities to learn. The most inspiring thing for me was just that they've taken something that seems like it could be a very scary challenge or a problem, and they've turned it into this opportunity to develop and they are really looking to just maximize every element of this and experimenting. And I think that a lot of municipalities and even people and companies can learn so much from seeing things that, yeah, maybe at first seem scary, but perhaps can actually be leveraged to do something great. Sophie and I just want to thank you so much for, for sharing this with us. Uh, but before we conclude the episode, I'm curious, how did your journey to Kiruna go otherwise? <laughs> well, it was, it was a great trip for sure. Um, a lot of fun. But when we got there, we were informed that there was going to be a giant snowstorm on the weekend and that the road to our Airbnb was most likely going to be shut down at some point. Um, we decided to take our chances anyway, go up. We had no idea how bad it could really get or what would what we would be against. Um, but yeah, we ended up getting completely snowed in. The power at our Airbnb went out, uh, so no heating. We eventually started running out of water as well until <laughs> we could leave the Airbnb uh, the next day when the roads were cleared again. Yeah, I mean, it just took a long time. Um, we couldn't leave the house. None of our plans, I mean, honestly, none of our plans that we had for the weekend ended up sort of happening. Um, we made the best of it for sure. It's Yeah, <laughs> it just was humbling to remember that we rely so much on nature behaving and we want to keep that happening in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Thanks so much for sharing your story with us today. Yes, we're very grateful for you uh, traveling in on the podcast behalf to Kiruna and talking to all these people and looking into how a city can actually move and make it a sustainability opportunity. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. We had a lot of fun working with Alexandra and Kelly on this month's episode. And if you liked this episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook at the triple I double E. And remember that you can always stay updated with what's going on with the podcast at our website. You find us at www.triple backslash podcast. We're really excited to keep making episodes for you all. Uh, you should look for a new episode from us in April, where we showcase an event the IIIE is hosting in conjunction with Sustainability Week here at Lund University. The event will showcase ongoing research into the sharing economy that many of our researchers here in-house are engaging in. So look forward to that episode coming next month. Brilliant. So with this, we close this episode. 
again, a big round of uh, thank you to Alexandra and Kelly for their awesome effort. Yeah, indeed. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye.